Welcome to the GW Business of Sports podcast. We talk about sports, careers, mentors, leadership, and a lot more here. And we do the show from the Foggy Bottom campus in Washington, D.C. I'm Mark Hyman, professor in the Business of Sports program at GW. My producer is Henry Levy. Ben Strauss is a staff writer for the Washington Post and co-author of a book that has spurred lively discussion in the issues and sports course this spring. The book is Indentured, the inside story of the rebellion against the NCAA. It's a book about where the money comes from and where it goes in college sports, and it makes the argument for paying some college athletes. This edition of the podcast is a portion of our conversation with Ben Strauss in room 352 of Monroe Hall. My co-host this week is a fine student in the issues class, Ruben Kahn. Ben, thank you very much for coming to GW. We're thrilled to have you here. I'm happy to be here. So the first of all, I want to introduce uh, the co-host of the podcast this week, uh, Ruben. Oh, yes. uh, Please introduce yourself. So I'm Robin Kahn, and I'm an exchange student coming from France, and I'm majoring in business administration. And would like to work in the business of sports someday. Okay. Hi, Ruben. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> okay, uh, first question will be from me, Ben. The, the, the subtitle of the book, Indentured, the Inside Story of the Rebellion Against the NCAA. Who is rebelling against the NCAA? Who is rebelling against the NCAA? This is what we do when we're stalling, when we don't know the answer to the question. You repeat the question while you try to... Um, who's rebelling? Um, I guess it's like, it's, it's economists, right? It's sort of this rag... It's not very sexy, right? This group of economists, um, a few lawyers, um, and a guy who used to work for Nike. Like, these are the people who rebelled against the NCAA, um, who led the charge, and eventually in the book, they... they uh, um, recruited a, a former UCLA basketball star and one Northwestern quarterback. But uh, it's sort of funny. It's 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 really a ragtag group. Like there wasn't, and still isn't, really sort of a groundswell of of anybody. There's no tipping point. There's no mass revolt. It's um, it's a few people, academics, uh, former athletes, and close observers. Um, Sonny Vaccaro, who who sort of built, you know, the commercial industrial enterprise uh, and then decided um, he was on the wrong side of history. But it, it is sort of funny um, to think about sort of how small a group it was and, and sort of a powerless group of um, just a few people who, you know, shook the, the, the tree of the NCAA um, and certainly didn't topple it, but, you know, maybe shook a few branches. And I think the book has introduced us to some um, characters in the story that we weren't really familiar with, so it's, it's, it's great in, that, in many respects, including that one. Ruben. Uh, so one of my questions is, uh, why do you think people watch the NCAA? And do you think paying student athletes would change TV ratings? Um, why do people watch the NCAA? People watch the NCAA because sports are fun. You know, okay. despite what we say in the book, they're great. Um, yeah, good luck 
trying to watch the NCAA tournament and like not having a great time. Buzzer beaters, you know, 30 games in two days. It's awesome. Um, would paying the players change that at all? I think not in the slightest. Uh, I think that's sort of a contentious point in some of the lawsuits. The NCAA says, you know, if we pay players, um, people were told, will turn it off. Sort of amateurism is our special sauce that we offer American consumers. Uh, but quite clearly, my opinion is that's, you know, a load of crap. Um, just this most recent NCAA tournament, there were all these news reports about how much um, the Louisville player was getting paid and, and how much, um, it's, it's part of the FBI probe, you saw the amounts coming out, um, you know, whether it was at Louisville or Arizona or Kansas or wherever, um, and it did nothing to uh, dampen the interest in the sport, and so I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that people are watching because they're watching unpaid amateurs. And there's studies that come up, right? The NCAA will produce, fans say they would prefer athletes not get paid. And I don't know what the exact numbers are anymore, but those studies in general are useless because, you know, baseball fans used to say, we won't watch, you know, if players are free agents. And people used to say, we won't watch the Olympics if there's professionals. And those preferences we've seen time and time again are, are pretty meaningless when push comes to shove because people like to watch sports. So Ben, in the beginning of the book, you say that this is a book mostly about football and men's basketball. Well, why do you say that? I thought it was a book about the NCAA. I think there's different buckets of student athletes or student athletes in quotations. It's kind of a, you don't like to say student athletes. Um, the money that's rolling through college sports, right? This is a $10 billion industry. It's every bit as big business as the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. The, the amount of money these coaches are making is obscene in one way, but market value in another way, right? Um, somebody asked Nick Saban a couple of years ago, said, you have an assistant coach making a million dollars. What do you think? And Saban sat up there and said, you know, I can see how somebody would look at this and say this is not right, um, but this is the market. And he's absolutely right. Nick Saban, the, the football coach. At the, the football University. coach at the University of Alabama, who was pretty clear-eyed about a lot of this stuff. And to his credit, you know, Davos Swinney, the guy at Clemson, coach at Clemson, will say, oh, there's too much entitlement in today's world. And, you know, how do these kids need to get paid? And meanwhile, he's making eight, nine million dollars. But Saban, to his credit, says, yes, I have an assistant coach making a million dollars. Um... And I can see why you think that's not right, but look around, this is the market. And he's right. But this circles back to your question. So this, these billions of dollars flowing through college sports are directly related to men's basketball and football. Um, and those students are brought to campus not just to play their sport, but to very specifically make the university money. And that does not happen in other sports, whether it's men's crew or women's tennis or, um, you know, men's volleyball, these other sports, um, while I think that sort of fundamental rights-wise, transferring and um, selling your own name and likeness should apply to all college athletes, sort of this fundamental um, exploitation that exists um, 
it's it's specifically about men's basketball and football. Um, also, not least of which, because most of these athletes are black, um, making money for an, an athletic department, then is it then transferring that money to um, often upper middle class white kids who are playing tennis or who are playing volleyball or are playing um, you know cross country. And so I, sort of the exploitation aspect of this, sort of the indentured servitude is um, the athletes who intend to go pro in football and basketball are A, making all the money, and B, the ones that are worth money to the TV networks um, and are being exploited in a way that, that the other athletes are not. What are the relationships between pro leagues and the, the NCAA? especially uh, about the one-and-done rule? So the one-and-done rule is a rule, um, it is part of the collective bargaining agreement that the NBA has set up. And if all the reports are accurate, it seems like that will um, change. change in the next couple of years, whenever that's re-signed. I don't know if it's next year, 2021. Um, and so... Uh, The ANCA, I think, likes that rule, or very much liked that rule when it went into effect because they were losing some of the top talents yeah. straight to the NBA. And now, sort of as the antitrust legal challenges have um, you know, been thrown against them, all of a sudden it's like, no, we don't, we don't want the one-and-done rule. So that's not an, actually an NCA rule, that's an NBA rule. But I think in general, the NCA or the NFL and the NBA very much like that they sort of have these unpaid minor leagues where not only do their future employees get trained um, and prepared for uh, professional careers, but they also get incredible publicity and exposure. And so by the time Baker Mayfield gets to the Browns, he's a national star. By the time Zion Williams Williamson gets to the NBA next year, he's a giant star because of Duke. So I, I think they love it. It's, it's a very much um, a system that, that helps out the pro leagues. Then you went to Ithaca College. Yes. I believe, according to your LinkedIn profile. And, Not um, a very good basketball team. No. And you were uh, a student in the School of Journalism, or, or, or that was yes. your major, certainly. Yes. Um, can you identify a couple of points along the way in your career that, that led to the writing of this book? Yeah, when I was at Ithaca, we had... Um, There was a school of sports studies or sports and society. I don't know if, like, I feel like they're more common now. But I had a professor um, by the name of Ellen Starowski who teaches at Drexel now. And um, this was, like, 2005 or six, And we took a class that, you know, sort of looked at why... Um, why the Cleveland Indians have... A, racist mascot or why um, you know the racial distribution of players on an NFL team is is so skewed you know white quarterback and the further out you get the, the um, more minorities you find until you get to wide receiver and cornerback where, where everybody's black um, and it was sort of this hidden side of sports that I don't think I had really ever considered as this huge huge sports nut growing up and so I think that was sort of one of the first moments when it was sort of, uh, you know, sports and society or sort of what does this mean beyond, um, you know, the Chicago White Sox, my favorite team winning a World Series or sort of like, you know, perhaps there's more uh, to this. And I think, I think now those questions are sort of 
asked all over the place in a way that they weren't quite as much then. Um, but it was sort of, then it was eye-opening. And then um, the first thing I ever did about the NCA was my co-writer, Jonah Sarah, was a uh, columnist at the New York Times and, and just needed help. I was a researcher for a column that he was writing. And I went out to um, the suburbs of Chicago to track down a guy who had been suspended by the NCA, some guy at UConn named Ryan Boatwright. I don't know if that's a name that rings a bell anywhere, but he had been... It's in the book. Right. <laughs> uh, most people I talk to just pretend that they read it. Um, and, and so he was suspended, so you guys know the story, but um, tracking him down and like finding his parents, I think I met his dad like in a, like a the Chinese restaurant, like in Aurora, Illinois, and you know, the man was just totally distraught that um, you know, somebody could basically... Um, somebody who wanted to ruin his family, ruin his son's career, could so easily just go to the NCAA, say, you know, this, you know, Picayune rule was broken, and all of a sudden the kid's career was, in fact, derailed. Um, and so it's always one thing to see the academic side of these things and then sort of the human effect and, and what it means to somebody's life. And um, that was the first sort of NCA thing we did. And one thing led to another and we did the book but those were sort of two things where you sort of opened your eyes and or for me sort of set a path on what the book would be or sort of what I wanted to do last question is from Ruben so you compared a black student athlete coming from difficult background to indentured servant um, education is supposed to reduce inequalities between students coming from different background. Do you think the NCA current model accentuates this inequality between students rather, rather than reduce it? Uh, I think a, a lot of ways, like in football and men's basketball, it does. I think it actually, there are a lot of opportunities for other athletes um, to get an education. Um, and I think that there would be a lot less room to criticize the enterprise if um, the athletes who went to college got the education that they were promised. Um, and so I, I don't, I think, I don't think it's a clear yes, no. I think in some cases there are opportunities given to athletes to get a college degree um, and then in turn they are often not able to access that education that they've been promised. Well, then we want to thank you again for coming to GW, and this round of applause is for you. <laughs>